Well, that's what Christmas is all about. God with us. Emmanuel, his name from the beginning. And the difference it has made in our world ever since. Over the next few weeks of Advent, I want to be bringing messages from the first two chapters of Matthew. And the first verses of the first chapter of Matthew, you might think would be difficult to get a Christmas message from, but it's really very easy. If you realize what God is doing in the family tree of Jesus. There's a lot of names here, and, and folks reading the scriptures will tend to skip over all the begatting that takes place. But there's significance that, takes, that, that does take place here. And I'm going to read from Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. The sermon is entitled, The Miraculous from the Mundane. It seems mundane, all these names, but, but something miraculous is happening here. The book of the genealogy, the word genealogy is the same word for Genesis. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, do you remember who Boaz's wife's name? Ruth. Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. Take a breath. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, or Amon, some translations. Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Are you getting excited? Take a breath. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob. Now we're in the New Testament. Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. How about that? There is design to this madness, to this mundane. Something miraculous was brought forth. Bow with me. Father, as we come to worship you, we see how... You are working through history, and you are working through sinful people to accomplish your purposes in the perfect time. 
and in the perfect way. So help us have hope that even when things seem in disarray today, that you're still working and bringing us to a purpose that's perfect in your time and in your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is an outline in your worship bulletin. It's a real simple message, a real simple message that I have for you today from the genealogy, the family tree, the ancestors of Jesus. Because I see in this family tree a message of hope, a hope that we need even at Christmas, maybe especially at Christmas. Because I hear people talking about the world and the shape that it's in and how disappointing we, disappointed we are that things are seemingly moving in the direction they are, that, that we are becoming a nation that no longer honors God that our world is spiraling downward toward immorality and even amorality, how things just seem to be worse than they've ever been before. And, and what can we do? We wring our hands in despair. And then we think about us as in not only world history, but us as individuals. Folks who are sad throughout the year are even sadder at Christmas. All the emotions that you have January through November are just intensified in the holidays because everybody seems to be so happy and seems to be going through the wonderful motions of Christmas and some of us just don't always feel that way. And so we come to Jesus' family tree and we see in it God's careful unfolding of history and how he worked everything out perfectly. And, and what I want us to see in it is that we can have hope because God is still in control. He's still in control of our world today as he was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. He's still in control of our lives when they seem to be unraveling. God is still working through us and in us and he's still in our midst. And it's a simple message from the genealogy of Jesus. Verse 17 says, all the generations, you might not have caught this had Matthew not pointed it out. All the generations from Abraham to David were 14. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14. And from the deportation to Babylon, back to the promised lands, to the Christ, 14. So what seemed like just a, a coincidental spiraling of history, spiraling of events, were in reality God carefully orchestrating everything, 14 generations from the time he told Abraham that from you I will make a mighty nation to King David. From King David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the time when the deportation, the Israelites came back to their homeland, 14 generations until Christ was born. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus came in this family line. It's not just happenstance, but God is working carefully through the events of history, Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations times 
three. And to the Jews, even those numbers would be significant because the Jews saw symbolism in numbers. You see that often in the book of Revelation. For example, the number seven represents perfection, completion. And that's why six, which is one less than seven, represents imperfection, incompletion. The mark of the beast is what? Six, six, six. One less than seven, imperfect. Fourteen, which is the number of generations in each of the three segments, is a multiple of seven, perfection. Times three, three represents wholeness, unity. That's why the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll see the number seven and three replicated over and over again in Jewish literature. Seven times two, 14 times three times represents the perfect time, the perfect way Jesus came. One of my favorite verses, Galatians 4 4. It's not a coincidence when Jesus came. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The wording there, when the time had fully come, it, 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 perfect, it means perfection, it means completeness, it means wholeness. Jesus came at the absolute perfect time when God had filled up everything else and every other loose detail had been taken care of and woven together at the culmination of 14 generations times three, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, born to Mary. You see what, is, you see what God's doing here? In the Old Testament, when it seemed like just, just an array of circumstances, just one generation after another, God not really involved, God not really doing anything, his purpose is not really coming to pass. Look at what is happening. It's not just coincidence. God is specifically moving history toward a destination that he has intended at a particular time in a perfect way, in the fullness of time. And there just happened to be 14 generations in each age times three. No, it wasn't just happening to be. It was by design. So, what this says to me is today, when God seems silent sometimes, when world events seem to be spiraling downward out of control and accomplishing nothing, one day we'll be able to take a step back and look at what God is doing and we'll realize that he is in our midst and he is working in our modern day world to bring us to him just as he did through the 14 times three generations of the Old Testament. It's like looking at a tapestry. You've heard that illustration before how you look at the back side of the tapestry and all you see are loose threads and, and, and disorganization and and nothing really makes sense, but, but one day when you look on the front side of the tapestry, you see how all the threads are neatly woven together to make a design of perfection. 
And that's what God is doing. We might not see all the loose threads accomplishing anything, woven in any significant pattern on the backside, but one day we'll be able to look back and say, oh God, I see how you're doing it just as in the Old Testament, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylon, 14 from Babylon to the Christ. Now I see how you're bringing everything to fruition, everything to completion, everything to perfection in this world and in my life. History can't stop the movement of God. He's going to bring it to pass. His purposes in His time, in His way, today, just as He did bringing history up to the birth of Jesus. But not only could flawed history not stop God, flawed humans could not stop God accomplishing His purposes. You know, I was, I was mulling this over this week. If you and I were in charge of the birth of Christ, how, how would we have brought, first of all, we would have formed a committee. And they would have met. And, and we would have hashed things out and worked it out. What would you have done? I mean, some, you know, God could have put Jesus in a basket as a ba just on the steps of the temple without any human involvement, just dropped him there from the heavens. You know, I think if I had been chairman of a committee, I would have found generations of faithful people down through the ages whom Jesus could call his grandparents, his family tree. But that's not what God did. Look at this genealogy. I mean, my goodness, I have some skeletons in my closet, but nothing as bad as this. Jesus' family tree has a litany of unsavory characters. Look at the, Abraham. It starts out with Abraham. Do you know the story of how Abraham lied and told uh, another man that Sarah was his sister and not his wife? And in order to protect himself. I mean, it was, it was a, a series of lies that Abraham told. And then we get right to Jacob. Jacob, you remember what his name means? The supplanter, the cheater. He cheated his brother. He cheated his father-in-law Laban. He cheated his uncle. Anybody he could cheat to get ahead, Jacob did so. And then we get to Judah. Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Do you remember who Tamar is? Tamar is one of Judah's son's wives. But he didn't know that. He just thought she was a prostitute. We're not going to go into that. That was Genesis 38. And I can't, I just, honestly, I can't go into that story in mixed company. And notice it all, I just noticed this, it also says Judah and his brothers in verse 2. Why does it include and his brothers? His brothers weren't ancestors of Jesus. Do you think it included Judah and his brothers to remind you of those brothers that did what to Joseph? They put him in a pit, sold him into slavery to Egypt. That's the only reason I can think of why Judah and his brothers were added. And then let's get down to uh, 
verse 6, David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. He can't even bring himself to say her name. So he uses a circumlocution, the wife of Uriah. And you know the story about David and Bathsheba and all the shame that occurred there. And even had uh, Uriah put on a front line and killed because he refused to, to be with his wife. I missed one. Back up in verse 5, Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab is? When they were sending the spies into the promised land, she was the one who, well, who, who harbored them, protected them, and uh, helped send them out. And her only request was that when you come and take our country over, that you spare me and my family, which the children of Israel did. Do you remember what her occupation was? It was, it was unsavory as well. And then we get down to Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Now, Ruth was an honorable person. She moved into the land of Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. But I think it's significant that Ruth was not Jewish. Naomi's sons found Ruth in what land? Do you remember they went to the land of Moab because there was a famine, because uh, there had no rain had fallen in Bethlehem, and so Elimelech, I think is Naomi's husband, and her two sons, Malon and Kilion, moved to Moab, and the two sons married Moabite women, and here comes Ruth, a Moabite, not Jewish, from another land, coming back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she is in the family line of Jesus. They could have left Ruth out. It says Obed by Ruth, Boaz. It could have gone just Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. But no, Matthew throws in. There's a woman here. Her name is Ruth, and she's a Moabitess. And then we get down in, from David to the deportation. It was a dark day for Israel. The kings had departed the worship of God, and they had gone after foreign gods, which is why God had the children of Israel conquered and carried off into Babylon. But some of these kings, I mean Manasseh, Ammon, they were notorious in the Old Testament for worshiping idols, for sacrificing children. They were known as evil kings, and yet here they are in the genealogy of Jesus. Why did God use people such as these? when he could have found a faithful remnant through every generation. No. God wanted to show us that he could use anybody, no matter how great a sinner, to accomplish his purposes. He didn't have to use anybody at all for that matter, but he chose to work through humanity, flawed humanity. And I think that too should give us hope. Friends, God is still in control. He is in control of 2013, and, and guess what? He knows what's going to happen in 2014, and he's going to be in control of that year too. He knew what would be on the nightly news last night. He knows what's going to be on the news tonight and next week and next month and next year, and he knew we would need some hope. So in the midst of this flawed world and these fallen humans... Look at the last name on the list. 
Verse 16, of whom Jesus was born who is called the Christ. That's it. That's the culmination of everything. No other name need be added. That's the point that God was bringing everything to, the culmination in the perfect time, in the perfect way. Nothing, nobody can stop the purposes of God. You see it, 14 generations times three, flawed humans, women, incidentally, women are never included in a genealogy, but here Matthew's making a point. Here come women, four women specifically, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Mary. Here they come with all the baggage and God still accomplishes his purposes through them. He will not be defeated by evil. He will not be stopped or thwarted by the events of history, no matter how sordid, no matter how amoral the world may seem. He will bring his purposes to pass. He has not abandoned the world and he has not abandoned you. Whatever you're going through this Christmas, whatever heartache you bear, whatever baggage you carry, God is still with us and he is still working and he's still accomplishing his purposes in you and in the events of the world and he's bringing them to a perfect culmination. In World War II, Germany was bombing England relentlessly and, and a building had been bombed out and a man and his son were in that building and in order to escape to safety there was a, a crater, a shell crater in the front and, and they ran from the building and the father jumped into the crater uh, for safety and he called his son to follow him and his son said, Dad, I can't see you. And the father said, it's all right, son, I can see you. Just jump and I will catch you and it will be all right. That's what God is saying to us. Even when we cannot see him, he still sees us. His eyes are on you. He still loves you. He has not abandoned you. He is working out his purposes in and through you. And just as Jesus came at the end of three times 14 generations, guess what? Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, and it's going to be in God's perfect time, in his perfect way, according to his perfect plan, and it might not make sense now, and I am so amused at all these people who like to predict when Jesus is coming again, because you know, Jesus said he didn't even know the time, only the Father who was in heaven. So if Jesus didn't know the time, my guess is that you and I probably don't either. But I do know, according to Scripture, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be surprising, and it's going to be soon. And just as God brought history to culmination in the arrival of Christ's first advent, he's doing the same thing with history now. In God's perfect timing, Jesus is going to come again with the second advent. And we need to be ready. We might not see it, you know, we, one day we'll be able to look back and say, oh, now I see what you're saying. 
You came the first time, three times 14 generations. You came the second time, and it'll all make sense because the tapestry will have turned over and we'll see the image of Jesus perfectly. God knows what he's doing. He knows where he's taking history, and he knows where he's taking you. And so our opportunity here is one of hope and trust and faith because God's in control. The world seemed like it was out of control the first time Jesus came. It wasn't. God was bringing it to a point. The world may seem like it's out of control today, but it's not. God is bringing it to a point. He used sinful people back then to accomplish his purposes. And he's using sinful people today, just like you and me. And so our task is to be faithful and to trust and to have hope because God is in control bringing the miraculous from the mundane. Let's bow together. God, if we could see and understand everything you're doing while we're in the midst of it, I guess a couple of things would happen. First of all, it'd probably frighten us to death. Because we aren't just ready, we aren't prepared to see fully and deeply what you're doing right now. Secondly, it wouldn't require faith. It's impossible to please you without faith. And so when we can't see the destination Help us to live by faith and not by sight. And help us just to trust you. Knowing that you're in control and you're bringing this world to your completion in your perfect time and in your perfect way. And so you want us to live in the meantime you want us to live without knowing and seeing the final end. We know what it'll be. We know that Jesus is coming again. And we know that it will come as he did the first time in a perfect way, at a perfect time. And one day, all the loose ends will fit together and it'll all make sense. But in the meantime, we love you and we trust you. And it gives us hope. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.